Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host, and my guest today is Virginia's state senator, Don McEachin. As most of you know, uh, most Virginians anyway, know by now, Virginia's state senator, Donald McEachin, has filed the required legal papers to run for Congress. And I, for one, think that's a terrific thing. Uh, senator McEachin, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I'm glad to have you, and I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm under the weather a bit, so we're going to let you do most of the talking here, but... This comes, this uh, election, you're running for Congress. I know you've always been interested in uh, representing the Commonwealth of Virginia at various levels and have served two different terms, if I recall, in the uh, House of Delegates in Richmond, 1996 to 2001 and 2006-2008. But how much of this timing is because of the gerrymandering correction in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, and maybe we should even explain some of that. Not everybody, even though we hear about it a lot, understands is what gerrymandering is, and that in the Commonwealth of Virginia, at least, a federal court has ruled that Virginia's current congressional map is unconstitutionally racial. How's that? And the court is imposing a map uh, this year that makes the hitherto district represented by Republican Randy J. Forbes a more evenly inclusive constituency. So why don't you take it from there, Senator, and I'll jump in when I can. Sure. So give, give the background noise if you're, if you're picking up any. Well, you're exactly right. This, this run of mine is completely uh, dictated by the fact that there's a new fairly drawn district in Virginia that's uh, Virginia 4th Congressional District. Yes. And as you said, it was the result of a lawsuit that was brought by by some folks who complained that the 3rd Congressional District had been un, unfairly packed. And, and what they meant by that was is that the Republicans had gone through and taken the time to put as many African Americans as possible in the one Congressional District so they wouldn't have the ability to affect other Congressional Districts. The court said no, that's wrong, and broke up the district. Interestingly enough, both the third and the fourth congressional districts are now majority minority districts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a testament to how far we've come 
uh, in, in 2016, and that uh, certainly Travis Scott will win re-election easily. And I anticipate that the uh, 4th Congressional District will have an African-American representative as well. You know, we can all remember a time when that would not be so in a majority-minority district. So, I mean, in a majority-majority district, I miss, I miss that, that both districts are majority-majority districts, not majority-minority districts. So we can both we can all remember a time when that would not be so in such a district. So we are making progress in Virginia, not, maybe not as quickly as we would like, but we're making progress. This new district is a fourth congressional district with a vote is about 60% for the president, a little bit more for Tim Kaine. And in Mark Warren's most challenging year ever, it would have still voted 58% for him. So it is a uh, good, solid Democratic district. Uh, and as you as you know, and as your listeners should know, it is so Democratic that Randy Forbes, the Republican incumbent, left the district to go run in the second congressional district. You know, I was... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was go- I was biting my tongue not to mention that, but the, to me that is so telling. Please tell us more about the, uh, Randy uh, J. Forbes. Uh, the court rules, uh, you know, you can't cheat anymore and you leave town. I don't know. Is that too much? That's, uh, that, and on top of that, he uh, is, uh, is, is what appears to be the fight of his life in the second congressional district where they're not taking too kindly to him haven't moved in. Uh, he lost the endorsement of the Virginia pilot. Uh, he is running against a state delegate who, while underfunded, appears to be scrappy. So we will see how that turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new fourth uh, stretches from uh, the, the entire city of Richmond and, and the solid suburbs all the way to the North Carolina border. So wow. it is much like my Senate district in that it is both uh, urban, rural, and suburban. Yes. And, uh, and it's just going to be a delight to represent if I am, if I'm blessed enough to do so. Well, I certainly hope you are. I I don't mind expressing my uh, my democratic opinion. How about that? Uh, I've wondered some of the issues. Uh, some of what, what's I don't want to just say what's your platform, but there's just so much out there, Senator. This this whole the issue of gerrymandering. I don't know that that's going to go away anytime, but it's nice to see the federal courts jumping in on it. But what about the coal ash, for instance, and uh, climate change and the Zika virus? Uh, we're all uh, sort of uh, waiting around for somebody to take action, and I guess the somebody is us. What, what are your thoughts? The somebody is uh, You know, it is, it is unbelievable that with the Zika virus, the Congress has not yet acted. Mm. Uh, we, could, we could certainly uh, move forward on that and do our very best to eliminate that disease. And, uh, you know, it's here in Virginia. Yes. And, uh, to the extent that our Republican colleagues in the, in the House of Representatives have not uh, helped move the ball forward on that, they all should be uh, held accountable for that at the poll. Yes. Uh, and as you, certainly, as you mentioned, the coal ash situation is, uh, is, is, is not tolerable. As you know, it was, I can't remember who it was Duke. It was, a, I think it was Duke University, but... Uh, recently, there was a study showed that the water, that the coal ash is actually leaking into the into the groundwater in, at levels that are higher than uh, the federal standard, which is pretty bad. So yes. we, we need to assist the coal ash is disposed of properly, and obviously we need to move as quickly as possible away from using fossil fuels at all and move to clean energy. Uh, that's certainly been one of the things I've fought for as a state senator 
and will continue to fight for at the, at the congressional level. And, and we would all be remiss, especially after that horrific shooting in Orlando, if we yes. renew our calls for universal background checks. And I'm tired of these people who say universal background checks wouldn't have worked. You know, if you've got a guy who's been checked out by the FBI and, you know, and has attracted some level of attention, mm-hmm. then all that least um, put up a red flag that, hey, this is maybe a guy who shouldn't have a gun. And, oh, how about maybe he shouldn't be allowed to be uh, a security guard as well and handle weapons. So mm-hmm. there's more to come on that and there's more to look into where that's concerned. But uh, we need to keep a watchful eye on that situation and keep pushing for uh, universal background checks because they are effective. And in many cases, keep guns out of the hands of those who should not have them. And also in Virginia, I believe, there was uh, an attempt to stop uh, allowing men who had been found guilty of spousal abuse from having a gun for five years after they had come out of jail, and yet that was defeated, was it not? Yes, although we, we, we were able to get such a ban put in place for protective orders. Oh, good. Um, so at least we have that in place. I, I just don't know, you know, even further than that, and that's bad enough, but the, the fact that uh, the presumptive Republican nominee for president can tie Orlando into some kind of immigration issue. Uh, the shooter was born in, in America. and oh, the, right. you, you know, born in New York. Yes, and, and, uh, and the judge that he's always criticizing was born in Indiana. You can't say, you know... I, I just don't know where we're headed, and I am concerned, I have to say, and I'll ask you, Senator, on every level, but, but national and state levels in particular, I wonder, do you have concerns about, with such a divided electorate, what's going to be the response when things don't go the way one side or the other wants them to go, do you think? Yes. Uh, I am convinced that Democrats are going to win the presidency. Hillary is going to be our next president of the United States. Yes. And, you know, we just have to hope and pray that the Republicans will uh, treat her the way they treated the President Obama. Yes. And, and finally figure out that, you know, they have, the, they have the responsibility and the privilege of governing and they need to help them govern. And, and the answer can't always be no. We have to find our way to yes. Yes. And speaking of which, one of the things that's been no after year after year attempt, as a matter of fact, I believe it's been um, it's been voted for in the Virginia Senate, but it been defeated in the House by the Howell there, but um, not even brought to vote. And that's the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. What's been your experience with that, and where are we going with the equality for women and equal pay on federal level as well as state? Yes. 
equal pay. Sometimes we get it out of the Senate, depending on the year. Sometimes we don't. And again, the notion that we're not going to do everything we can to make sure that women are paid at the state level of their male counterparts seems antithetical to the American way. Again, I couldn't agree more with you, Senator. You have, this has been a fight. Many of these things we've been discussing have been uh, uh, issues that you've been fighting for some time. And I hope that you become a member of Congress so that you can fight on that level, continue these. these. You've been on amazing committees, even in the uh, legislative sessions in Virginia. For instance, the, uh, as, you, as you pointed out, your district represents so many different segments of the population and interests uh, and constituencies within one geographic area. It's a huge area, but I mean agriculture and the urban and rural, all of that sort of mixed together. But you've been on a committee, the Agriculture, Conservation, and Natural Resources. Give us some idea of what that committee does and how you... That committee has a broad portfolio, and I will tell you that that committee attracts more attention in terms of people actually coming to the committee hearing Yes. And just about any other committee I serve on, we deal with everything dealing with how we treat animals to how we treat uranium. Uh. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I am very proud of that we were able to do on a bipartisan basis was to defeat efforts to get um, uranium mining in Virginia. It did not even get out of committee. Yeah. Uh, you had rural legislators, rural Republicans banning with uh, uh, Democrats. And uh, we were able to keep the yellow cake in the ground where it belongs. Yes. So, uh, that was one of my one of the moments in my service to the General Assembly that makes me smile the most. Good. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I am outside and, uh, waiting for a, uh, a uh, building to open up during this interview. So someone came up and uh, tried to talk to me, so I got distracted. I apologize. To <laughs> no problem. What about fracking, Senator? I mean, it just seems every time we sort of hit a plateau of, okay, let's try to work together, if that even happens, then all of a sudden there's this new technique. Uh, And again, it's all about the power and the money. And I mean, power in every sense of the word, you know, to keep the country running. But we need to run on something that isn't also killing us. I find the saddest thing and I've seen examples of this in Virginia and West Virginia and Kentucky. Coal ash is in the water. You have a family whose children can't take showers and have to live on bottled water, etc. And yet they still defend the very company that is doing this to their family. How do we find, how do we reach a person who understandably wants to keep a job and have an income, but somehow explain Yes, but if that job is 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 potentially causing health issues for your family and for the nation and for the environment, how do we get get you off the idea that there isn't another way? How do you change a person's mind? I guess is the question, Senator. Well, a large part of it is uh, education and opportunity. You know, we've had to deal with that issue in Virginia, and again, I, I, it's another moment of pointing to bipartisan success. And at least keeping fracking out of the eastern part of our state. It takes place in the western part of the state, but yes. not the eastern part of our state. But, you know, we have to be about the business of educating people as to the dangers of some of the things that we're trying to do, as in the dangers of fracking, and also give them the opportunity to have other 
other avenues of success, other opportunities of jobs. It's not just you know menial jobs, the well-paying jobs. Which yes. is another reason why we need to raise the minimum wage. So uh, it's going to take both uh, education and the providing of opportunity to change the hearts and minds of individuals. Yes, I agree, and you you can't approach a person. You know, by telling them they're dumb or stupid, you have to somehow, you you have to somehow, as you say, educate them so that they discover they're in a a cycle of electing people who, who they think of for working for their interests, but they're not. And so the person, the poor electorate, the voter at the bottom, who's staying in that same career uh, and that same situation, that location, that health uh, uh, situation. Is is running in circles and not getting anywhere, and, and and we have to be, we have to be empathetic, but we have to be good teachers, patient teachers. By example, anyway, the Courts of Justice Committee. What does that do? That deals with about, uh, I'd say, ninety percent of the laws that uh, affect Virginians on a daily basis. We deal with everything from first universal background checks that we talked about, yes, to how we handle DUIs. Every crime that you can think of, uh, we we deal with in terms of not only should it be a crime, uh, and, and, and all the way to how long should the sentence be. Uh, that's the that's the committee that uh, interviews judges to see if they are qualified sentence on the bench in Virginia. It is a it is a wonderful committee that I've served on, and I've enjoyed my service there. When we were last in power, and I was uh, co-chair of the committee, and that was a and education itself, managing the committee and managing the committee's docket and uh, making sure that the citizens we had ample notice as well as opportunity to comment on the bills of the day. So it is a, uh, it's a wonderful committee to serve on. It's very challenging. You know, and I don't think I've mentioned in your introduction, but the, so people should know, you are an attorney. So it's perfect in every way that you are on that committee. Uh, and... Uh, not not all lawmakers are attorneys, and I'm not suggesting that they have to be. But it is, I do think that there needs to be a sense of of the law if you're going to be a lawmaker. And being an attorney certainly is, goes a long way. What what are your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely, there's a there's a mosaic for the law. There's a there's a reason that laws are drafted the way they are. Yes, uh, you're right. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand that, but you do need to have an understanding and appreciation for that. Yes. All right, we're, we're going to, we have more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break. I do want to come back and, and address some other issues uh, like militarized police force and all that kind of stuff, but also to revisit the Zika virus and uh, the 2016 elections where our Virginia State Senator Donald McEachin is running for U.S. Congress. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. For some time now, capturing video of life's events, big and small, has become a big part of our culture. Because of this, biographical documentaries now often include video contemporaneously captured by both outsiders and insiders during the lives of their subjects. Such is the case with the tragic story of unique vocal star Amy Winehouse, as presented in the masterful documentary, Amy. 
A good deal of the film was shot during her lifetime, beginning with a performance at a friend's birthday party when she was still a child. It then builds into a powerful portrait, providing intimate views into her creative majesty. Through images of the time, we come to know Ms. Winehouse, as well as the emerging demons that would ultimately consume her. We learn of her creative process, her dreams and struggles. We see the enablers, the influence peddlers, and those in the exalted position of family who themselves succumb to the siren call of celebrity. Amy is no talking heads doc. It painstakingly assembles real footage from the day to create an intimate portrait of true talent, emerging, striving, creating, and ultimately melting into tragedy, having flown too close to the sun. Amy, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today, Virginia State Senator Donald McEachin. And the senator is running for Congress to represent the 4th District in Virginia in the U.S. Congress. Senator, we've touched on quite a few things. I wonder if uh, one thing, just so people know, different states uh, run their state governments differently. We are a commonwealth and just give us some idea. Some people think Richmond or any state legislature sort of works like a, a, a smaller Congress, but that's not true. Can you give us some insight on how that structure works? I mean, there are two houses, but how long are you in session? And uh, right, yes, right. yes. So, so you're right. We are not the Congress at all. For instance, uh, we have a finite time period. And even years where you can be in session no longer than 60 days without special permission. In odd years, we can only be in session for 45 days without special, 46 days forever without mm -hmm. special permission. The difference between the two years is supposed to be the consideration of the budget. Uh -huh. And even years we're creating a budget out of whole cloth. In odd years, we're just equaling with the budget. And, you know, we're also part-timers, so we have to actually come back and live with the uh, consequences of our actions. Yes. And, but it also has, has its downside. Uh, for instance, most of us have other jobs. I'm a lawyer, I'm a dentist, I'm a, a pharmacist, I'm a, I'm a consultant. And so you have other jobs which uh, inhibit your ability to drill down deep, deep, deep on issues and get into the weeds. And while that may not necessarily sound like a bad thing to many of your, many of your listeners, and it is not a bad thing because the system certainly works, it does make us a little bit overly reliant on lobbyists as well as the General Assembly staffers to, to help us understand issues where prayerfully in the Congress I will have the time to actually understand the issues for myself and uh, make a decision based on what I've learned and not what someone has told me. Excellent. I wonder if we might go back a little in uh, not that long ago for you but by any means, but uh, you were a very, uh, you sponsored actually a bill that would limit the use of uh, drones in the Commonwealth? Yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, what we were concerned with was the uh, uh, government's use of drones and drone technology, particularly where it comes into uh, criminal investigation. You know, we have a Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. Yes. And that plays itself out in many, many different ways in, in the criminal justice system. Uh, but one thing that we're certain of is that well, the framers of the Fourth Amendment never envisioned 
a robot sitting over your backyard mm. able to see and in some cases smell and report what it's seeing and smelling back to a home base. Uh, that seems to me to be over-intrusive and that you would need a warrant before doing that. Yes. Law enforcement suggested that there was no need for a warrant because everything was in plain view. Again, the notion of plain view, yes. uh, <laughs> as it's developed over the years, never envisioned a robot sitting over your backyard. So, uh, eventually, we, we uh, got a moratorium passed, and then we moved on to having a um, an actual warrant requirement in, in many instances for the use of drones. Well, excellent. I, uh, you know, and your exception, of course, with that is Amber Alerts, which I, I certainly support. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, and also with law enforcement in danger. And it only actually deals with uh, law enforcement. For instance, if there's a fire going on, it, uh, we need to, the drones need to figure out where the fire is spreading to or, or something like that, a wildfire, yeah. you can use it for that. It's only for criminal law enforcement purposes. Uh, that we limited to limited the drone use, and you know it's it's an ongoing thing. Uh, the, there's sort of a at least two sides to this that the the, the Constitution is is something that's uh, chiseled in stone, or it's a living, breathing document that allows the uh, to at least entertain the evolution of history and and what's developing and with the the high speed, if you will, acceleration of high tech development. We are constantly having, I think, to keep our eye on the Bill of Rights and try to find a balance. And I think what you and, and the uh, the drone bill, if I can call it that, SB 1331, is that um, uh, it, it sought for that balance without overreaching in any direction. But in, in other areas, uh, you know, First Amendment, Second Amendment, I, I remember, I know within my lifetime that uh, peaceful assembly meant you could demonstrate peacefully uh, anywhere. But, you know, I've noticed, and, and it's, it's, it's been like anything, it's that simmering pot with the frog. But since, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but since the Bush-Cheney administration, I remember being shocked when a woman was removed from a, a Bush uh, political rally because she had a T-shirt with a... Um, one of those uh, European, you know, do not enter slash across the chest with with Bush's face. And I thought, well, what on earth was she doing? She wasn't screaming or yelling. She was wearing a T-shirt that said she didn't like George W. Bush. How how are we, do you, do you find, I mean, now we have these special areas. If you want to demonstrate, you can go over there a few blocks away in some cases. And when I think of both national political conventions coming up and, of course, the safety of the, our police, what do you, how do you find a balance in that First Amendment? Well, you know, there's, that is a struggle that we will be engaged with constantly, and it's probably a good thing that we constantly visit and constantly have a conversation about it yes. so that we, that we strike the right balance. Uh, you know, certainly someone who has a, a T-shirt on that someone else might not like uh, shouldn't be banned from any place um, by the same token that someone who's uh, encouraging violent acts. And here I'm thinking of uh, Donald Trump when he tells somebody to smash that guy in his face. Yes. Uh, that, that, is, that is something that's completely and wholly inappropriate for our politics of this day or any other day, it ought not to occur. 
and you know you're absolutely right. It's it it's bad enough when there are uh, the danger of mob rule among the people, but when someone who's running for the highest office in the land is inciting such things, and of course he would deny that he's doing that, but when you say, hit him in the face and I'll pay the legal fees, I think that's pretty clear. I'm, I'm not, admittedly, I'm not a Trump fan, but still, it concerns me. I, I, I get that people are coming off of the Great Recession and not all at the tempo at which they would prefer, but there is fear. Um, as Kromsky said, people during the Depression uh, feared what was going on, but they believed it was going to get better, and now people are not so certain it's going to get better. That's a sad commentary. I hope that's not true, but I know there's frustration about employment and you know, the economy and jobs and whatever. But if we allow that fear to feed hate and bias and prejudice and mob rule, what are we? what's going to happen to us, Senator? situation that has to be resisted. You're exactly right. It's one thing for there to be frustration, but it's another thing for that frustration to be stoked by political leaders to lead to violent acts. Yes. Um, you know, what, what we're witnessing is, is the, really uh, the, the, the last gasp of a group of people who used to be in charge of this country, and yes. now they see that slipping away, and quite frankly, there's nothing they can do about it. Right. I mean, it's a demographic fact. Uh, that the country is changing, it's becoming more diverse, and its views are uh, turning in the other direction. So, and I think that is part of the fear they're experiencing, but their leadership isn't dealing with that fear in a responsible way. Their leadership just declines to expand or attempt to expand their reach and, yes. and, and have a conversation with, with this, this new America that's emerging. Rather, they want to ban this new America even though many of the people that they see today are Americans, yes. they want to criticize uh, folks just because they don't look like them, even though they were born here in this country. Yes. Uh, and all, the, all their leadership is doing is exacerbating the fear instead of addressing it and trying to, uh, and, and, and trying to take care of it. And this whole thing of calling it a tone, it's the tone that needs to be corrected. It is a, it's a lot more than the tone. It's the whole attitude, the philosophy, the, Absolutely. you know. And uh, that brings us back to Orlando. My whole thing is with guns. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, good, I'm a good shot, always have been, but I don't understand the justification for saying someone who has the kind of repeating magazine that can shoot so many rounds at so often, how... It's more than an individual. What 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 can we do about? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is no reason why uh, that individual should have an automatic weapon like that. Uh, it's not for self-protection. It's for hunting. It's not for hunting game. It's for hunting people. Exactly. Uh, so you know, why can't we ban that? Uh, why can't we have universal background checks to make sure that those who shouldn't get guns uh, can't get guns? Uh, these are just common sense of things. You know, they already want to run around and say, hey, they're going to take all your guns away. Nobody that I know of has ever tried to do that. What we've tried to do is to put in some common sense safety laws yes. to protect the general public. And, and you know, I, I wonder uh, also, there, it can't be, even though I don't like the the constant equation that 
someone kills someone and therefore it's a, it's he's mentally ill and that may certainly be in some cases uh, or even many cases but we need to address this as the, as the whole picture there is gun violence and there is violence period as we mentioned earlier spousal abuse but the idea that we don't address health issues the health issues and particularly mental health I have a lot of guests who come on the show we talk about Alzheimer's and autism, etc. But generally, people are very concerned about physical health, but they don't speak as much about the need for protecting uh, mental those with mental illnesses and making certain they don't get guns, but also giving them the kind of medical treatment that they need. And we, of course, in Virginia have a very recent uh, example, a uh, very tragic family situation. And, of course, the reporters in Richmond being on the air and gunned down and what can we do about it? Well, you know, one of the things that we need to do is, is, is readjust our attitudes, and that might sound simplistic, but part of the problem, we don't like to talk about mental health. Exactly. It has a different stigma to it than physical, uh, uh, physical health. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. And uh, all the studies show that, you know, mental health is, is can be treated. I mean, so, I mean, certainly there's something that can't be treated, but uh, if, if we put our minds to it and if we uh, demonstrate the political will and uh, make sure that the proper resources are allocated, we can we can address many mental health issues. Yes. Uh, you know, and that's why I'm so proud of my colleague and uh, the senator out you know, in for all the work he's done in that area. Yes. 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 Um, he is a true leader in that regard and, and someone who uh, I, I look to for. Uh, as a knowledge base for, for those types of issues. Yes. He, he certainly has he certainly has paid the price for that, and he is doing so much to educate the re- rest of us. The Privilege and Elections uh, Committee. Uh, we're running out of time. I, I do want to tell us what that is, because if I'm correct, is, is that not where the uh, Equal Rights Amendment goes to try to survive? Anything that's going to go on a ballot, uh-huh. uh, for instance, the, the so-called uh, right to work initiative, constitutional uh, yes. amendment, has to clear that committee before it can get on the ballot, and not just the idea of it, but also the language that actually appears on the ballot has to clear that committee. That committee deals with the gubernatorial appointments as well as legislative appointments, and of course, that's the committee that deals with redistricting every ten years. Yes. Well, Senator. Uh, Don McEachin, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Tell us now, how can we help you get elected? Where's your website? Where do we donate? How can we volunteer? Let us know. How can we? What, what can we do? Well, uh, for, for volunteering, you can always call my uh, campaign manager, Abby Easter, at 804-475-1800. And for donating, which is the mother's milk of Say that one more time, Senator. I'm sorry. MacEachinForCongress.com. We're still developing the website, but okay. the donate button is working just fine. Just fine. I love that. 
And I want to thank Abby for making this uh, interview possible. She she was very helpful in getting me through. And um, are there any parting words? I, I met you, I think, uh, briefly uh, way back at Senior Center in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, at an event for Tom Periello. I was so impressed with your speaking and your speech at that time. Is there any, take us out on one of those, uh, your philosophy, your, the reason you're running, the reason you stay in politics. Well, what I'm telling people now is, is that this election cycle is about much more than being a Democrat. It's about much more than being a progressive. The other side has lost its ever-loving mind. Yes. That's how my daddy would have said it. Mm. And they are preaching hate. They are trying to redefine the American character. And it's up to us to stand up and stand up for this. This is not who we are. Uh, we need to reach out to independents, to straight-thinking Republicans, to everybody, and make sure that we define America the way we know Americans are, which are inclusive people, a loving people, a tolerant people. And uh, those of you who uh, might hear this program or are in the 4th Congressional District, I hope you'll join our campaign and, and, and say enough of this and... and, and this is not who we are, and uh, for those of you who are, there are campaigns all around this Commonwealth that need your assistance because we need to stand up with one voice and say, America is inclusive, America is loving, America is tolerant. Thank you so much, Virginia State Senator A. Donald McKeachin, who I hope will soon be a member of the House of Representatives representing the 4th District of Virginia. Thank you so very much, Senator, for being on the show today, and we wish you all the very best. Bye Thank now. Thank you, and you enjoy your day. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Stay with us, as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. There are few things as valuable as a best friend. Someone who is on your team, exploring the world on your side, collaborating and complaining in equal measure. These friendships are depicted often enough in films, but few do it as uniquely as Adam Leon's Gimme the Loot. Best friends Malcolm and Sophia scrap and hustle their way toward one of their biggest dreams. They seek the graffiti artist's holy grail, tagging the home-run apple at City Field, home of the Mets. Accomplishing this bold act will give our partners in crime street cred. But they run into obstacles in the form of a rival graffiti crew, a seriously peeved drug dealer, some shady characters who strip them of money and cell phones, and their own entrepreneurial petty crimes. Film anthropologists will prize Gimme the Loot for its entertaining look into the lives and habits of a little-known segment of our society. It takes us to the real New York, sharing the unique cadence of these mean streets. The language is torrid poetry, thick and entertaining, a character in itself. Our heroes live teenage lives on a quest for money, reputation, and respect. They are toughs. But are they tough enough? Give me the loot. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, here with my pets and pet peeves, hoping you'll join me in a wake-up cup of coffee. Anybody here seen my old friend America? Where's America? 
filibuster or exceptional, regaining sense of decency or starving children. It's not just a question for presidents and members of Congress. It's the question for we the people. America's right uses fake patriotism to cover up American realities with Oz ridicule and programmed phony court-packing talking points to camouflage Trans-Pacific Partnership's New World Order at the expense of a child's food for thought. We can't fully comprehend the depth of where a stop-and-frisk America descends without recapturing the essence of the greatest we have been. The correct questions give us insight and expose the true enemies of the people, while right answers give us Millionaire's Club Congress on vacation from leadership. Do you know where your member of Congress spends one-third of the time he should be working for America? It's the questions we're asked that have been our education and character development. And I've never even really been one of those great classroom teachers who mold minds and now protect lives at school five days a week, year after year. But I have worked with ages 12 through 80, including a few household names. And while I remember very few of my answers, their questions return for haunting replays all the time, like gun violence. Where is America? It's in the questions of children denied food and in factual health care answers from organizations like the Jefferson Area Board of Aging, not in congressional wizardry disappearing food stamps while making Kansas jokes. Answering real questions is a real necessity for real people to keep it real and off the right direction from following the yellow brick road. Fifty years after Dallas, I was asked, what's polio? Before answering, I realized after curing this crippling disease, the right direction for America has been political, educational, affordable, health care, and food stamp assassination. Anybody here seen my old friend, the America that didn't deny food to our children? Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.